Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. That's Joe. I'm Tom. Yeah. That's confusing. You usually do it the other I way. I know. I just wanted to throw uh, you off a little curveball. bit. Curveball. I know. How You're about that? You're such a jokester. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What'd you do with the money? What money? The money your mama gave you for comedy lessons. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Tiffany. Ava the Elephant. Season 1. Episode 1. So this is a Shark Tank OG. Yeah. Way back in 2009. And... Really, really interesting product. It's a dispenser to give oral medication to children. Um, Tiffany is from a small town in Georgia, Auburn, Georgia. And as she said, it's a mile wide and has one light. <laughs> it's not a big town. Not a big town. <laughs> she went in asking just $50,000 for 15%. So remember, back in the day, some of these deals are a little bit smaller. Yeah. And rarely do you see that now, but just 50000 for 15%. So what happened? Well, um, she <laughs> she had uh, some interesting reactions from the sharks. Uh, Robert uh, asked her challenger, "What do you need my fifty thousand for? Why don't you just license this?" And two of the sharks, Mister Wonderful and and Damon, thought it was a product and not a business. We hear that from time to time, and both of them, their responses fit into that category. And Kevin uh, wanted to see some kind of track record. He thought taking the product to, to be a viable business was too much work, but Barb had some belief in Tiffany and made an offer, but she wanted a majority stake of 55%, and uh, they made a deal on the show. The deal was made. <laughs> and this was a long time ago, so there's probably a lot to catch up on and learn what's happened since. Uh, you interviewed Tiffany by yourself. I must have been golfing, or what was I, I doing? I think you were. You had a bad hangover, so I just let you stay home. No, not true. Tom, I don't know where I was, but you interviewed <laughs> Tiffany by yourself. Yeah. Uh, how was the interview? It was a great interview. Such a wonderful person. Great lady. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I trust you doing an interview by yourself. No, it was really well, great. I'm, I'm excited to listen to it. You should watch it. it. <laughs> okay. I'm excited, to, I'm excited to, to listen to it as well. Um, so you did the interview. Yes. So it must have lasted, what, three or four was, hours? Yeah, it was a four-hour interview. <laughs> did, she, did she get a word in? Nope. I talked the entire okay, time. Okay. Well, I'm excited to hear you talk to <laughs> Tiffany. I'm excited to see what you shared. I, actually, I probably heard every story you told yeah. already. All right, well, let's get into Joe's interview with Tiffany. And we promise this is the only time you have to listen to Joe do this solo. So uh, I hope it's okay. Yeah, I hope it's okay, too. Okay, don't stop listening. We're here with uh, Tiffany. Tiffany is the founder of Emmy the Elephant. And you're, you're coming to us today from beautiful Georgia, wooded green Georgia. And we can see that in the background. <laughs> yeah. So welcome. We're so happy to have you. 
Thank you so much. So a lot of people call Ava Emmy still because on that first episode, I called her Emmy the elephant. And I have a funny story about that that we can dive into if you want to. But um, actually, it's basically after trademarking, we settled on Ava the elephant and she's really? been Ava. But yeah, she was Emmy on that very first episode. So people ask that all the time. <laughs> Well, talk to us about, I, I, th I think that's, that's always an interesting story to understand the genesis of the idea. So you were a nanny for this beautiful uh, child, Gibby. And so take it from there. I want people yes. to understand how this idea was born in your head. So when I came up with Ava the Elephant, I was not um, trying to be an entrepreneur or a product developer. I had, none of that was even on my radar. I, um, I worked with a little boy, like you said, named Gibby, and he was one of many children that I worked with who had special needs, but he was the one that I was with daily at that time. And for probably three and a half years, I spent with him and his family. And um, he had become my first baby. So before I had children, he was the first one that I loved. And um, I hated watching him struggle with medication. I mean, it was so bad that we would have to restrain him, which I shared on Shark Tank. You know, his parents and I would have to hold him down. And I'm, we're talking about simple stuff like Tylenol, just you know, any medication, if he knew it was coming, he associated that with something very bad and he freaked out. And so one night I went home and had kind of a light bulb moment because I had had um, success with cutting his hair. Another thing that he really, really hated uh, by using his stuffed animals, these animals that he loved, Tigger and Pooh and all these animals. I sat around the table and I cut their hair. And eventually one day, weeks into this process I did with him, he let me cut his hair. And that was just this huge um, success for me and his family because he would go to the barber and get cuts on his ears and his face where he was, you know, thrashing around. And you obviously have to cut a little boy's hair pretty often. So uh, when I had that success with that haircut shortly after I went home and thought, we've got to do the same thing with medicine. We've got to incorporate an animal in some way. We've got to hide this syringe because that was the thing for him. He saw a dropper coming and it was like, no, not doing this. And he also fed off of our energy. You know, we were, we were anxious. And so he became anxious. And so I went home one night. I wish I had the, I do have the original, but I don't have it up here. Um, the original, I just literally took some fabric, some sponges for the ears, um, wrapped it around into an elephant head and kind of sewed on these little terrible, scary black eyes, <laughs> little beady eyes, if you will. Um, and I took the insides of a recordable greeting card because um, I was trying to think, how can I give it a voice where it seems like a toy? And uh, you can order that stuff on Alibaba now and all you know, sorts of places. But at the time, I was like, you know, I know they have those um, those cards where you can record for your grandma or whatnot. And so I got I pulled the pieces out of that, recorded a little song and stuck it to the back of his head. And I took it in the next day simply with the goal of will this change this for Gibby? And it did. I mean, I introduced him. I said, I don't know what I called it at the time. I don't even think it was Emmy. It wasn't Emmy. Um, and I think it was Ellie the elephant or something. I said, this little thing is going to give you your medicine. And he was like, okay. You know, because to him, he no longer saw the dropper. He didn't associate it with anything bad. And he liked, he was fascinated. You know, he was like, Ooh, what is this thing? You know, and it worked. And we kept washing this fabric sponge contraption that I made and using it. And, and little did I know that that would obviously change my entire life and the path of my life and my career and everything. But um, it was intended just for him in the beginning. Well, and, and, uh, and an inventor, Ava the Elephant was born, but also an inventor and an entrepreneur was born. Uh, did you have other entrepreneurs in your life at the time? 
Yes. So my dad um, was in the Marines. And when he left the Marines, he um, left with very few skills as far as, you know, what he would do for a career. Nowadays, you know, people go into the military, they often go in to get the degree to, you know, get a college degree and leave to be something. At that time, it wasn't like that. You were serving your country. You didn't always leave with skills. And so that's what happened with him as he left. And it was like, now what do I do with my life? Mm-hmm. And he kind of fell into this little opportunity where they changed the laws here, at least here in Georgia at the time to test every water system for companies. And somebody had to do that testing to make sure backflow, basically bad things weren't going back into the water systems. It protects us from all those chemicals flowing back through, um, say a hospital poured chemicals down a drain or something, a biochemical hazard. It can go back into the pipes and come back to us. And so long story short, he got into that early on and said, I'll be a tester for it. He took the little course at the local college. He started a company. And um, started to build his clientele. And so my dad was ran that business for 38 years until we lost my mom a few years ago. And he sadly had to shut it down. But, um, but it supported our family. And so, yes, I watched my dad go through building that business and executing that business um, much of my life. And so, yeah, I, I was learning more than I realized I was learning, <laughs> right, through watching him do that. That's what my daughter said uh, recently. Um, she said, you know, there, you know, we're a lot alike in some ways. And I knew she was referring to the fact that she's now doing some gig work and, you know, it's all about the hustle. It's all about thinking through problems and not waiting for someone. Mm-hmm. To- uh, so take me uh, up to the point now when, when the, you were on season one, episode one, and really the, we, we shared just off camera that it was a pilot, which is very interesting, but mm-hmm. share with me how you found Shark Tank or they found you and mm-hmm. what went on uh, leading up to you being on the show. Sure. So um, a friend actually knew about my success with that, with that prototype, the, you know, unintentional prototype that I had. And she sent me a casting that was listed on Craigslist of all things. And so my joke is always, you don't always die when you respond to something on Craigslist. It can be something very positive. And so it said something along the lines of, you know, do you have the next big million dollar idea, but you don't have the know-how or the funding to make it happen. And I thought, I think I might, you know, I've been sitting on this idea that's been working and I'd love, cause my thing was, could I, I could already envision children just like Gibby all over the world using it. Not so much like a big market thing of, Oh, I'm going to make millions. It was more like, okay, I know Gibby. I love Gibby. There's a million Gibbies in the world that need this. Maybe just maybe we can make this happen. And so I submitted and uh, Mark Burnett, actually, most people don't know this, but he worked as a nanny. Um, when he came over to the U S he worked as a nanny briefly and I guess he connected with my story, you know, and they were looking through these initial, you know, submissions, it was a much smaller team and, you know, who's going to, they were obviously thinking about too, who's going to sell this, um, show to ABC or, or to whatever network it wasn't ABC at the time, um, to whatever network would buy it. And so he was really taken by my story and by the product and, um, kind of maybe pushed from behind. I'm not sure. And, um, so they called me for that first episode. And so you uh, share a little bit about what it felt like Uh, you were, it it wasn't the the Shark Tank experience that entrepreneurs uh, go through today. This was the pilot. (laughs) They were trying to sell it. So uh, share a little bit about the filming itself and, and some of what went on. 
Yeah, so um, it was much different. I joke with the people that went on this past season. They went on during quarantine and uh, were in our Facebook group. We have a private Facebook group and talking about, oh, we had to be there for two weeks in a Vegas hotel and be quarantined. And I'm like, really? Wow, must have been so hard, you know? Because for hours, there was no budget for the show. There's not a budget for a pilot typically or a very small one. Um, and they used that budget to put all of us up in a hotel, not our, you know, our own rooms. It wasn't that bad. Um, and I don't at any point want people to think I'm saying it was bad experience, but it was just much different, obviously, than it is now. Um, now they have makeup it room. A, it was a raw experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, now they have makeup artists and they have their own trailers they go into like the like the sharks do. And I'm like, are you serious? So I got ready in my hotel at like 630 a.m. We all went over to the studio, which is this giant warehouse, essentially. And then the, you know, the set is built into a small section of that. And the rest just looks like a big warehouse or like an air hanger, airplane hanger. Right. And so that's where we sat in like fold out chairs you know, not, not able to talk to each other or share our ideas or anything else, but just sit there and wait your turn. And I went at like 1030 at night. I was one of the last people they let go in and pitch for the pilot. And uh, I thought there's no way that they're going to invest in me. They're probably so sick of hearing ideas at this point. They've been listening for 12 hours, you know, and Barbara believed enough of me to invest, but it was a beautiful thing too, because it basically, um, it allowed me to not know who they were. So people now they're so fearful and anxious and I, and I didn't have, I had no clue who these people were. They handed me five sheets of paper before I walked in and they said, these are the investors you're pitching to. And I went, okay, all right. You know, no, I had no idea who any of them were. I just knew right. they made a lot of money um, and money is not my driving force. So I was just kind of like, okay, well, they make a lot of money. Well, I've got a great idea and a big heart. So, um, so I went in and pitched and, and that was that. You uh, you looked very comfortable uh, to me on the show. And I also noted that, you know, they weren't sitting in the padded chairs. It was the, you know, the set <laughs> where they had a kind of a curved panel desk and they each had a yes. of money sitting in front of them, which I thought was very, <laughs> that's very hokey and very humorous. Oh, you know, it looks yeah. like today. But so tell me what happened. So, uh, you know, a, a few thought it was just too early. And I think in the uh, first year, first season or two of Shark Tank, they had a lot of early stage entrepreneurs with prototypes that weren't revenue positive, yes. that didn't have a lot of stuff figured out. It's different today. I don't think they have too many of those, but uh, some folks thought, you know, you don't need my money. You have a product. You don't have a business, blah, blah, blah. But Barb did believe in you. She made an offer. You took her offer. Tell us what happened yes. and how things changed for you just after the uh, episode. Sure. Um, so that was obviously a different experience as well, because Barbara has been on the season now, on the show now for 12 or 13 seasons. I can't remember now. Um, she approaches things differently now. You know, there's a whole process and do a ton of due diligence. And it's a, it's a very long process to actually start working with her. Whereas with me, I was one of the first products she ever invested in. I think she may have invested in two that pilot episode, um, Todd's Pies and mine. I could be wrong or maybe more, but um, so that's all she was juggling. I mean, not all she was doing. She has a huge business and real estate right. and all of that, but on the product development side, that was it. And so um, we kind of were the blind leading the blind, to be honest with you. We kind of, you know, went into it like, okay, we got all of our stuff legally, set, you know, situated, obviously due diligence and contracts and all that. But then it was like, now we got to launch a product. We didn't know anything about injection molding. We didn't know where we were going to source it at. We didn't know, we didn't know it was considered a uh, medical um, ad 
it, they actually, the FDA considers it a, a device, this part of it, because it attaches to a medical device. So all these unknowns that we had no clue and we figured out together. And, and when I say we, I mean, obviously I did all the legwork as the business owner. She was my investor, but she was so helpful in um, supporting me as we learned these things together. We made mistakes. We spent money where we shouldn't have, you know, I mean, we just, we did so many things that she would never do now, but um, but the process itself was a wonderful one working with her, obviously, because I got more of a mentorship and a friendship out of it than I did. Um, what people get now is probably more of an investment and it's kind of cut off and that's it. And you keep going and investing. Right. Yeah. It's a different relationship than uh, may happen today. And, and of course, a much shorter process because the protocols weren't baked in the oven like they are today. Tell me about <laughs> the iterations. Did you start to iterate the prototype before you went on the show or did most of that happen after? <laughs> so, yeah. So, no, nothing. But at the time, I mean, even 10, 11, I keep saying 10 years because I've been past that now, but about 11, 12 years ago, when I did this, 3D prototyping wasn't available to the layperson. They may have done it at a large company. I don't even think they did it at large companies, but it, it has evolved in a crazy way over the past decade. So none of that was available to us. It was more of like, figure this out. Um, looking back, I should have used an engineer, come up with a CAD drawing. That's what I do for everything now I develop, obviously. And then that CAD drawing goes over to the factory and the factory builds per those specs. So you build it, you know, you create the, the plan, if, if you will, and then they, they actually execute it. It was different for us. We found a factory, I don't even remember how, um, and then I basically started sending them, I think, I think I sent them my first clay, one of the clay ones from Shark Tank. It was like, well, here's what we're going for. You know, we basically <laughs> need an elephant toy thingy, you know, yeah. we want to put a syringe in the back. We want it to sing, you know, and they got it. I mean, they do this every day, but it took like, God, we probably had 10 or 15 prototypes just back and forth of, you know, giant creepy eyes. And then, you know, one would come, one of them came in one time and it barked. So the elephant actually would press the button and it was supposed to have our sound and it barked. And so it was a, it was a process, um, so but the was, reason you don't was, see new products so much on Shark Tank. That one was Ava uh -oh, the Claw, the one. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I've heard all the versions of it. Am I cutting out on you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're fine. Okay, perfect. Okay. Um, where was I going with that? I can't, oh, but it's just, it, it's, so what they do with Shark Tank now is they obviously want full-blown companies because of the turnaround. They're filming in the summer. They're airing that fall. So, I mean, you've got a three-month, you can't have a prototype and get it to market and get it out and be ready for all of the exposure that Shark Tank brings. They don't want people going to a website and the product's not available, you know? So that's why you see that. I had December to August or January. I filmed at the end of December, beginning of January, and then my show aired in August. So compared to these companies, I had a very long window, long window, uh, but a very short window to develop a product because it should take, you know, it may take a year and a half to do that the right way. By the time uh, the episode aired, were you in distribution? Were you selling the product at that time? Yeah. Yeah. So we had developed in that nine months, we developed the product, um, we produced the product and we were ready and we had actually already secured our first deal with, with CVS. So, um, so yeah, we were in retailers. We had a major mishap with CVS where the product wasn't out, where it wasn't where it was supposed to be, wasn't out in most stores. So that became a major hiccup and a major um, failure of ours, if you will, where we lost some money. But, um, but yeah, we were very far along in the process for our first airing compared to most people. Is uh, a percentage of uh, your sales today uh, 
uh, e-commerce as well as retail? Yeah, so um, today, today, it's a little different. It's kind of, it's kind of quiet with Ava because um, I licensed my product. So about seven years into my process uh, or into my company, Barbara and I decided to license the product. We, we had built it as big as we could. We had done everything we could with a single SKU. It was like, okay, we either need to add on to this the way that you see brands build, you know, 15 SKUs, or we need to license it. And so um, I had battled cancer in between Shark Tank and that point and um, other, you know, like personal mental health stuff I was dealing with. And I was just ready to be creative again. I was like, I don't love the business side of it. I don't love the day to day. I want to do what I did with Gibby. I want to connect with kids again and I want to create things. And so licensing gave me that ability. And so that's what we chose. And uh, we licensed it to a, a wonderful company called Baby Delight. And they actually came up with this um, most recent design, which is fantastic. It was everything I really wanted it to be at that point. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm missing my plunger because one of my kids took the actual plunger <laughs> <laughs> right in the right. my life. Um, but they did a fantastic job with it. They licensed it for three years. And when that ended, um, I most recently licensed it to another company called Better Family Company. And um, they're, we're manufacturing it right now and it's coming back over. So we kind of, hit, we've had waves of, you know, being in retail and, and doing really well. But now that we're relaunching in this new company, we've got to relaunch into the retailers under that new company. The uh, product that you're holding now, for those that are listening and not watching, it's very unassuming. It's very cute. Uh, I couldn't imagine uh, any child not wanting to <laughs> kiss Ava the elephant, <laughs> give right. Ava a big smooch. And That's what they do, yeah. Grab some medicine. Uh, I'm curious, it sounds like, and I'm, I'm going to make an assumption, it sounds like this uh, five to seven year process leading up to making the decision to license. It sounds like there were a lot of lessons there, some maybe some victories, maybe a couple failures. But this is always the interesting part. And a great question that we always ask is, can you share for the entrepreneurs that faithfully and loyally watch and listen to, to this podcast, can you share some of the lessons learned, what you learned about yourself, what you mm -hmm. learned about business, what you may have gone back and told the younger uh, mm -hmm. entrepreneur, uh, you know, when you were, when you were dreaming up the idea, what, what occurred? What did you learn in that five to seven year period of time? Oh my God. I learned, well, first of all, I learned everything there was to know about product development, you know, start to finish. You see all these experts, you know, wanting to help you launch a product, but they've never actually done it, you know, and it's, it is such a brutal process, uh, product development and distribution, and it's hard to put into words and it, and it's never the same for every product. That's the challenging part. When people come to me and they want help because they saw me on the show, um, I either have to fully dive in with that person and help them build something, or I don't really do much of anything at all because each product is so different. So with this being an injection molded product, that's it's your own process to learn, right? You've got to learn about the maybe tens of thousands of dollars you have to put into a metal tool, you know, the part of the machine that actually makes this product that I knew nothing about before this. Then you might have a cut and sew product, which is like a, you know, a baby carrier later reached out to me yesterday on um, Instagram and said, I'm trying to make my product in the US and I can't find a single factory that'll speak to me because I'm a small business. Can you help me? And so I put her in touch with a factory I knew actually with a contact of mine on LinkedIn who put her in touch with a factory I know in the US that is um, used to doing those things. And so I had to learn and I've learned 
um, everybody's processes now, you know, because I basically have either helped other inventors go down that path or I've been developing those products. I didn't just do Ava. I've developed and licensed other products along the way. So um, I've learned a lot about that. Uh, what I learned about myself was exactly what I just told you, that I do not like the day-to-day -to -day business. That is not my sweet spot. That is not what I'm good at. There are women in my life I know who are um, just fantastic at that. They love putting you know, together charts and pulling information together and keeping up with that stuff. And I will die a slow death if I have to do that ever again in my life. And so now I'm in a position finally where my, with my company, Mom Genius, where um, I can step back and be the creative person and, you know, work with people on ideas and work with people again and children one-on-one. -on -one. And then there are people on my team who do that part that I'm so terrible at. So I've learned that I love that and that I'm not going to compromise when it comes to that. I never want to, no amount of money would make me want to be in that position of doing it all again. Do you know what I mean? Being everything to everyone. Um, but I've learned, I mean, I've learned, I've learned thing about things about fulfillment, shipping products, you know, manufacturing them, like I said, uh, where to spend your money. You know, one of the biggest things that I talk to entrepreneurs about is um, they get so confused in the beginning because there's always people coming at them, you know, do a patent, do a trademark, do, you know, and they're, they're overspending on so many of these things. They're pre-spending way, way before they should on some of these things. They're diving in and they're, oh, they think yeah. that, you know, 5,000 on this trademark and 25 on that patent will, will bring success, you know, and they may not even be at that point or ever should be at that point. And so um, I've learned when to do that and when not to and can advise people easily if I know enough about their story. Yeah, if you know what they're trying to uh, accomplish, you can start to advise yes. where they should spend their dry powder. What, what a lot of entrepreneurs, newer entrepreneurs, early stage entrepreneurs forget is the runway is uh, only so long. And when you're out of runway, you're out of <laughs> runway. And a lot of entrepreneurs, and you've seen this, they, they spend, they get a, a little investor money and they spend um, carelessly. They are the trappings of success versus what's really going to return uh, on investment. So uh, good on you. I want to I want to ask you one other question about your realization of, hey, there's stuff I don't like to do. Did that happen um, all at once? Was it an epiphany or did you slowly come to the conclusion that, hey, I really get great joy out of the creative process and I need to somehow figure out how to surround myself with people that could handle everything else, license a product out. Mm -hmm. Was it, was it all at once or little by little? I mean, I'd say it was little by little over time. It just chipped away at me. Um, but it was really when I licensed and was able to see, you know, that world open up to me again, that it, it clarified this is exactly where I want to be. I want to be in the creative space. And, and that seems to be the case for most creatives. When I talk to other people about that and I, you know, and I bring that up and they are a creative person, they go, yes, I hate that. And then there's people who can run a business, you know, run the business side of business who would never be able to come up with the creative stuff we do. So I think everybody has that sweet spot. Unfortunately, as a startup and as an entrepreneur, you most of the time do have to be at all. Like, don't hear me saying this and go, oh, well, then I'm going to go in and I'm going to start a business. So that's all I'm going to do. It just, it's never going to work that way. You're not going to have the funding to be um, just the creative. You're going to have to be your receptionist. You're going to have to be your fulfillment. You're going to have to be all the things that I want. So I was those things to the business. A lot of people assume that uh, Barbara's money equaled like ease for me. And that was not the case. Barbara was very tight with the purse strings and rightfully so, especially knowing what I know now, I'm glad she was. 
And it was such a blessing to me because it meant that I had to learn all this stuff and do it because you do need to still learn it. That's one of the good things too. But if you can ever get to that spot where it is your sweet spot and be in that place where I'm finally at, um, that's, that's when it's worth it. It's not about the big checks. It's about being in that happy place, you know, where you're happy doing what you do every day. Yeah, life is short and uh, we forget. And I love the term sweet spot. You get into your genius work, your sweet spot, you know, where yep. all the juices are flowing and you're in a, a good and happy place. Would you mind sharing? I, I know you have other businesses, other uh, products. Would you mind mm-hmm. sharing a little bit about the evolution of, of Tiffany and, and what you're working on? I think mm-hmm. that would be interesting to sure. uh, our folks as well. Yeah. So um, I do a podcast that seems like everybody does a podcast now, but about five, six years ago, um, I went for an interview kind of like this one, a local one. And the, the guys that did the interview said, you know, you should do a podcast sharing a lot of this, the nuggets of wisdom that you learned. And I said, "Oof, I don't like being in the spotlight that much, believe it or not. It makes me uneasy. I don't feel that well-spoken to do a podcast. And so um, I was very unsure of it. As a matter of fact, I did it for about six months. And every time I came in, I went, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? But I finally got into the rhythm of it. And I realized what I, what I found with this podcast, because that's all it was, was a give back. It wasn't a money-making machine. It wasn't anything. It was just, how can I give back to these other inventors? Um, what I found is that it served me well. So all these people would reach out with the same exact question, you know, thousands of times in 10 <laughs> years, times in 10 years. I could answer it one time on an episode. When they brought it up, I could steer them back to that episode. Oh, check out this one. We talk about prototyping. Check out that one. We talk about fulfillment, whatever it is. And so um, it turned into me being able to highlight a few sponsors or partners of ours that basically come in and talk about all these things, all these, it's called product genius. And we basically bring in our geniuses that one of them is an engineer. He's worked with Sunbeam. He's worked with I mean, every big brand you can imagine, Coca-Cola, and he's one of my favorite people. He's my engineer now. He's who I use to engineer the products that I develop, a dear friend of mine, but he's just brilliant. And so we basically bring him in and we let him talk about and break down all these things for entrepreneurs for free, you know, so they're listening and going, oh, okay, that's what it is. Or, you know, one of the shows he addressed, you know, um, sourcing here versus China and things that people don't really want to cover. We, we try to cover and dive into. Um, so that's just kind of a give back. And one of my businesses, if you will, now it's become a business, but um, it was meant to give back to others. Um, and then I started mom genius. And so mom genius started as what was going to be an incubator um, with my business partner. I met here in Atlanta and um, it turned into kind of a mess with as an incubator because we had more people than we could handle. People came from shark tank People came in wanting help and we realized very quickly that we did not have the bandwidth to do the brands that he owns, which he owns his own companies, for me to do my own and help all of these people. And so we started kind of slow. We did this product search. We um, took an invention that was submitted and we're about to launch that product. Um, It's been about a year that we've been developing it. Um, And so we're going to have to do it at that pace, you know, maybe one a year type thing at first, but it's, that's like my, like I said, my sweet spot, I get to create there. um, And then I do my own creation, but I do my own product development that I either license out or I work on. Um, And so I'm about to launch one that's made here in the USA. And that's my own brand. That's hundred percent mine. I don't have an investor in that. Um, And so, yeah, I've kind of spread myself out now to where I've got all these different ventures going on and never would have, you couldn't have told me that 12 years ago, you know? It's interesting what we evolve into if, if we allow ourselves that space. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we we people can feel trapped even in their own business, not only in a job, in a job, but in our own business, we can feel trapped. So you allowed yourself yes. to be 
you allowed yourself the ability to, to let go of uh, Ava the Elephant, license it, let it, you know, let it fly. And that's opened up other um, vistas for you, which is fantastic. Well, and you just said exactly what Barbara told me years ago. She said, you are not this first product. I was so stuck on, well, this is my innovation. This was my thing, you know, and I'm known for this. And she was like, you're not Ava that, you know, you're going to create hundreds of other things, you know, let this go. Like you said, when I did licensing and it was such a freeing experience of, oh yeah, like, yes, I still love my product. I'm still passionate about it. I'm still involved in it. I'm in the way that I want to be, I do the marketing for it. Um, but otherwise I don't have to deal with, you know, back and forth with factories and whatnot. <laughs> so many, so many entrepreneurs are, their identity is so wrapped up in their business or their product that they forget to have a life. They forget to allow themselves to dream about inventing and creating other things. But your creative gene, I think, is so strong that it couldn't be bottled in. Something was going to happen. Yeah. Your creative gene was going to rise to the top. <laughs> Not just that creative gene, but cancer gave me that gift as well. It really did. I had cancer at 27 years old and and fought for quite a few years in a row while building my business. I mean, the, the start of my, literally within months of me launching in Shark Tank, I was diagnosed. So, um, that helped me. I and mean, that was a beautiful gift to me to be able to decipher what mattered and what didn't, you know? Well, my, uh, I, I'm not a stranger uh, to that. My uh, wife is a, a breast cancer patient and we've been uh, maintaining mm -hmm. good health for seven years. So while I haven't experienced it personally, I've experienced it from just being um, yeah. supportive and we're very much a part of the cancer community, both in Los Angeles and here in Phoenix. So, so happy that you're healthy. That's great to hear. Same here. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that your wife went through that, but I'm glad that she's with you. Yeah, she's, uh, she's very healthy and every day is a good day. So I, um, I want to ask just a, a couple of questions, uh, two last questions. And one is, where do you want to go from here? What do you think, what do you think life looks like five years from now, seven, 10 mm -hmm. years from now? Are you, <laughs> um, are you in uh, creating things and selling them off? Are you, what, what are you doing five, seven, 10 years from now? <laughs> um, so that's an easy question for me because that became very clear as well. When I licensed the second time, when I licensed the second time, it was knowing that that was exactly where I wanted Ava to stay was in someone else's hands while I market. Um, and I want to build products that serve the special needs community. So um, I want my focus to be, 100% back. Well, not, I shouldn't say 100% because like the product I'm about to launch that's USA made and the product that we're launching through Mom Genius have nothing to do with those two spaces. But um, I want the bulk of my energy to be focused on that because um, they're, they're the products that are underserved and the people that are underserved. And so they're not the you know, multi-million dollar products. Unfortunately, some of them might only be used um, by a very small percentage of people. A great example is this product I met through. Um, so I know a pediatric nurse that did a tube, a tube, it's called tubesies. It's a little outfit where when a child is tube fed, the window can open up on this product and let them tube feed their baby and then close it back. Whereas before they'd have to pull up a whole outfit, keep it out of the way of the tube, not hit it, not pull. Um, and she has this great brand. And she also introduced me to another product that was this arm. You basically clamp onto things and the arm comes up and it, it holds the bag of food for a child who is tube fed. So most people would see that and go, okay, I don't get it. You know, or what's that for? They don't understand the crazy need for this product. 
think it's called the free arm. Get it? So mom gets a free arm because <laughs> these moms were clamping these bags to anything. They would set up these contraptions to hold these bags of food so that they would feed down properly through the line and into their child's stomach. And that is a very, very needed product, right? But it's never going to be a multi-million dollar product. It's just not going to be. There's not enough mar uh, need for it. And so I want to focus on a hundred of those, you know what I mean? Like a hundred of those products that change someone's life, the way that AB, um, Ava changed Gibby's, um, but that may never be, you know, a top seller. Wow. Um, beautiful purpose. Yeah. Well, and it's fulfilling, you know, that I do that. I want to do that because I was happiest at my job with Gibby. So of all the years I've been doing this, I still look back at that as my fondest career. Like uh, my days spent with him and working with him and children like him. And when I still do now volunteering or just with friends, um, that's where I'm happy. That's where I'm fulfilled. So, um, so it makes sense that I get to, you know, create these products for them now and actually execute it and see them, you know, help their lives. I mean, of course that's going to be my happy place. And you'll touch uh, through the products that you're uh, creating and helping other people create, you'll touch so many people. And so kind of a neat thing. So last question, where can our great uh, uh, listeners and followers uh, find you and, and Ava and Product Genius and Mom Genius? Uh, give us every place yeah. <laughs> go to find you. Right. Um, so they can just go to tiffanycrewmans.com. Everything is kind of linked from there. Um, and then if they're looking for our podcast and they want to learn from it, it's just called Product Genius. It's on every podcast um, platform that there is, Apple, iHeart, you name it. Um, and so they can just pull it up on there and listen and kind of go back through pretty good about doing the topics for the, you know, the name. So if you're looking for something specific, look down through and see if one speaks to you. And uh, Crewmans is spelled K R U. M I N S one, one M one. Yes. Tiffany Crewman's. Yeah. So I really enjoy this. I, um, when Tom and I talk to entrepreneurs and it's about purpose as much as it's about turning over a dollar, uh, it's usually a, uh, not just a good interview, but a great interview. So this was one of those great interviews. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I take that as a great compliment, but um, it is my life and it's, it, you know, struggling with so many things that I've struggled with cancer and mental health stuff. This is where I'm happy. And so I'm trying to kind of stay in that, in that space. Well, you will, and you'll affect so many people. Thank you, Tiffany, for uh, being on outside the tank. All right, we're back. You did a nice job. Thank you. I'm proud of you. No, it's, I think I'm a pretty good interviewer. I don't get to uh, exercise my interview chops all that often because I think you're a better interviewer than I am. You ask great questions. I'm a great, uh, you're a great play-by-play uh, -play man. I'm a great color man. That's my role. How long have <laughs> we been working together? I'm going to say it's about five and a half years. You've really, I'm just proud of your growth and development. Well, I tried. You're really, I, really something, kid. <laughs> really. I tried to learn from the uh, my young partner who has a, uh, a lot of redeemable qualities and and you know the the reason our partnership works so well is we do have strengths and sensitivities in different areas and i think that's important for a partnership. you've a lot of sensitivities <laughs> i'm extremely sensitive okay post what'd you learn post game a uh, couple things just rise to the top first a person with a humongous heart 
Um, and I, I think that's, you know, that's critical in business that you carry your heart into it. Secondly, um, she learned, and we talked on camera, and, and I know you're going to laugh, but actually after the interview, we talked for another 20 minutes. <laughs> And then what? You were late to another call? I probably was. Yeah. I probably left someone hanging in the Zoom room, but which happens often. But uh, I, I think that she really learned a lot about herself, what, uh, what she liked to do in the business, what she didn't like to do, kind of found sweet spots of where she could really move the business forward. And I think that's critical is to understand uh, not only a draft a role for yourself or a title for yourself, but really go deeper and say, you know, inside of my role in the organization, where can I have the greatest impact on the organization? What's my sweet spot? What's my core strength? How can I apply it to the business that I'm building? And lastly, she really learned where to spend money. And when you don't have a lot of money, when a lot of money hasn't been thrown at you, you become very creative. You become, I, I wouldn't say uh, cheap, but you become parsimonious. You become very, very, love that word, by the way, uh, 10 cent word, but you become very, very judicious of where you spend your money and how you spend it. And I think that's always a good thing, regardless of how much is in your general account. Uh, if you, my mom used to say, depression era baby, my mom used to say, if you take care of your pennies, then the dollars take care of themselves. How's that? <laughs> Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty parsimonious, right? Some, day, some days when you come in with what you're wearing, I think that you're, you, you think you're still in the depression. I shop at, I'm, I'm a self-made multi, multi, multi-millionaire and I, I shop at the Nordstrom Rack. <laughs> I won't pay retail for anything. Is that where you get this Tommy Bomb That's where I got your son's birthday gift sitting over there. No, we got that from the real Nordstrom. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> uh, I like that Tiffany is mission-focused. And I think that the mission-focused entrepreneur has a number of advantages. Um, for them, it's more than a business. And I, I believe that they're able to summon additional energy. You know, to, to be a successful entrepreneur, you've got to have energy and you've got to find a reason to persevere, to work through all the BS, to be able to create something, to be able to handle the bad days. And that can come from financial scarcity, that can come from an obligation to pay back investors. Um, but in Tiffany's case, it comes from really just having purpose and really just wanting to make this successful for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, customers, they know that, they sense that. And who would you rather support, the big toy company or the mission-focused entrepreneur that built something really, really cool? Yeah. And so that's always a great way you know, to attract the right people. And the last thing is, you know, and we, we've heard this from a lot of our entrepreneurs, but the importance of your story and your story's your story. No one can rip that off. No one can compete with that. It makes it unique to you. So whether, whether you're in a commodity business or you've created something interesting or you're creating a new category, your story can really help separate you. And so, you know, we can't all be mission-focused entrepreneurs, but for those that have that, I, I really believe it's something that can give you a tremendous advantage. Absolutely, we all have a story and, and some are more um, more brilliant in color than others, but everyone has a story. And I think as an entrepreneur, especially as you're messaging to people, you need to dig deep and, and tell that story. People remember stories left brain, 
right brain, left brain is logic, facts, data, right brain. We think of stories, we, we think in pictures, we think in movies. And when you're able to paint a picture of what your product or service is and why it's so important to your ideal client uh, and, and what you put into it to get the product down the field, people respond to that and people want to help. People want to buy your product, they want to help you promote your product, so your story is critically important. Hope you enjoyed this. Another great entrepreneur, another Absolutely. week outside the tank. And uh, you know where to find us every Tuesday, all new episode of Outside the Tank.